The 78th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett. Says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews. Off the mark, and this year the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today. Getting you ready for, for a old Big Four rivalry. Carolina heads to Winston-Salem Saturday night in a pretty big game for both teams. We're going to break down the Demon Deacons, give Chip the speed on Carolina, give our keys to the game, pick the game, and all that. But before we do any of that, we start every preview edition of a podcast, as we always do, with the pod thought of the day. Go back to Roy Williams, because I do think following... Tuesday night's disappointment. Uh, we could definitely use some some words of encouragement because we're all feeling a little down, mainly myself. And Roy said, uh, persistence prevails when all else fails. Well, hopefully for Carolina, the persistence and their practice and their preparation will prevail on the road because they've done enough failing on the road this season and they've got another road test this weekend as they'll go into a hostile Lawrence Joel Coliseum on Saturday night. And with that, let's break down the the Demon Deacons of Wake Forest. And they enter with a 15-4 and record. You could say they're one of the most pleasant surprises in the ACC in all of college basketball, if you will. They are led by one of the best transfers in the country, Alondis Williams. Leads the team in scoring, rebounding, and assisting. It's why he's a lot of people's front runner to be the ACC Player of the Year, and rightfully so. He has single-handedly transformed Wake Forest basketball in Steve Forbes' second year in Winston-Salem. But it's not just him that gets the job done. The high-scoring Demon Deacons have four players that average double-figure scoring, so they got a well-balanced scoring attack, which you would expect. They average roughly over 78 points per game, just like Carolina does. And those four losses, look, they've lost on a neutral court to LSU, at Louisville, at Miami, and at home to Duke. So they don't have a bad loss on their resume. And a big reason why their offense is so efficient, they're fifth in the country in two-point field goal percentage at roughly 54% shooting inside the three-point line. They're not a great three-point shooting team. They shoot roughly just over 31% from behind the arc. Thank God. But they can get the they, they can get their offense in a variety of different a variety of different ways. And they're going to 
they're going to force a big time challenge for Carolina on the road, a team that's that that needs a win in the worst way after Tuesday night. Yeah, no, I mean it's one of your. It, it, this is pretty much your last shot to get a quad one win outside of Duke. So you've got to get it done here. And in an ACC that's as weak as it is this year, I mean, I'm not going to say the season's on the line, but the way you performed at times on the road, you know, it does kind of make you wonder if they lose this game, how many more can they lose before they are squarely on the bubble or outside of the tournament field? So, I mean, it's that important. And the thing that's that should scare you about Wake Forest is their top three players are what? Guards. Yep. What just killed Carolina against Miami? Guards that could get dribble penetration. If these guys can get dribble penetration, which I feel confident that Alondis Williams and Davion Williamson can do, then Carolina could be in a little bit of trouble. But Carolina has done a really, really good job of responding to their losses. Yeah, but the They've come out is, and looked really, really good. You can only do that so many times. I mean, yeah. But with the way that this team is, I mean, we're talking about probably the most up-and-down team in Carolina history. Because you're talking, like we've talked about so much, the highest of highs is where this team is at. This is a team that legitimately, when they're playing their best, you could make a case they're an Elite Eight, maybe even a Final Four team with the way that they play, how they score the basketball, how well they can defend at times, and the fact that Armando Baycock can just take over games. When they play at their worst... They're a team that can miss the tournament because they can't defend, they don't move the ball well, and they take Armando Baycott out of their offense. So I don't I don't know what team and this is I've said it multiple times this year. I have no idea what team's gonna show up in this game. None of us do. And that's the scary part about it. I want to go into games feeling confident that I know what team is going to show up. But like I've said, they've responded well to losses outside of their first loss of the season. And that next game came less than 24 hours after that first game. So we'll see. But that I, I am concerned about the guard play and what that could do to this team. There aren't many must-wins that exist in the end of January. This is a must-win for Carolina. Yep, you're you're. There's no and, there's no other way no, to put it. At you're this twelve point. and five. You're four and two in the league, and your best win of the entire season is at home against a Virginia team that, barring a turnaround, the last two months of the year, is not going to play in the NCAA tournament. You have. I don't won- think you've beaten a team that you can say is definitely going to to be in the tournament. Maybe Furman, maybe Coast, uh, Coast. But those are maybe, those, maybe those College are of Charleston. Big, those are one big team, right? They have to win their conference tournament to get in. You, you have literally, and, I, and, I, and I'm not even I'm not even trying to be negative, Nancy, over here. You have won 12 games 
and you've accomplished nothing. Because what's gone wrong in those in the in the losses, and it's four of the five. The Purdue loss, you competed, you just got beat. If all five losses were that, you'd be more just saying, okay, how do you fix the late game situations? Whatever. Even even the Tennessee game, they kind of just ran away from you in the second half. Game was it over wasn't at really but but it wasn't it wasn't it was still single digits. It wasn't even out of hand. Where all of the other games that you're having an issue with, I mean Notre Dame wasn't that way, but that was a team that we stood that you still felt you should have beat. Now maybe that'll be a loss that you look back on and it's a little bit different at season's end. Because you'll say to yourself, well, maybe Notre Dame wasn't that bad. But I still don't think Notre Dame's all that great. But the two losses that right now really just have me scratching my head are Kentucky and even Kentucky. That's a team that when they play at their best, they can be one of the, the nation's best teams. This game against Miami that Carolina just lost makes no sense. Miami's playing very well. Jim Laranega is a heck of a head coach. You've said it on here multiple times. You think he's the most underrated coach in the country. That team should not have been up by 30 at any point on you. No. And that is the thing. We're we're now, I mean, that's a loss that legitimately hurts your resume. Because they they are, even with the win over you, they are below you in net ranking. So they are not seen as this great basketball team. I think they're better than that. The fact that they're below Carolina, Wake Forest, Florida State, that's blowing my mind. Well, it, it, the, the net takes in different things. Right. It, it takes in who you played, where you played them, all that stuff. The thing about it is you're 0-4 in games against quad one opponents, and the margin of defeat is by over 20. Mm. The committee is going to look at that and say, if you lose to Wake Forest and Duke and their double-digit defeats, they're not a competitive team against quality competition. They're not going to be deserving to make the NCAA tournament. And that, and that, and that, and that ultimately matters. If they were still had all those losses, if they were competitive, they're a competitive team that didn't win. You're a team that didn't win and weren't competitive in the process. And that's that's the most mind blowing thing. Getting blown out once a year happens. Happened in twenty seventeen when they won a national championship. But three three times for Carolina in a year where look, yes, program in transition. But Hubert Davis rebuilt the roster to compete this year. If we were being sold on, we were taking two to three years to get back to the top, probably wouldn't be the panic. There wouldn't be the frustration. He didn't do that. You don't bring in a fifth-year grad transfer who made the most three-pointers of anyone in the Big 12, six center taller. You don't bring in a former McDonald's All-American and Dawson Garcia, a guy you you recruited, and then another guy and Justin McCoy, another player you recruited, and you're trying to sell us on a rebuilding the rebuilding the program. Well, Justin McCoy is not somebody that you should have thought was going to be a part of a team that was going to make a run to a title. So should have known that he was a developmental guy. That that was that was you part still, of that. You still rebuilt the roster to compete, 
And right now, your your team isn't very competitive. I mean, he's a first-year head coach. Let's just admit, he's not a great head coach right now. And you look at some of the records of Carolina's first-year head coaches throughout history, they haven't always been great out of the gate. That's that that's the thing right now. And there is a lot more parity nowadays. Matt Doherty than there won twenty one straight games his first year at Carolina. Wasn't a first time head coach. It was though. a second year. He was a first time head coach. He coached at Notre Dame though. He was a first time head coach at this level. Won twenty one straight games. So you're out on Hubert Davis. I was out when he hired him. Which means you don't trust Roy. I do think I do think as of today they made the wrong decision and that's becoming evident. You can't sit up there after watching your team get blown out for a third time and say I don't know two questions. I mean uh, to a certain extent I don't I, I think he's being honest because because there are no leaders on this team. It's your job to know. Okay. There, the, there lack, are, the lack of leadership it's a player issue but at the college level who are you gonna? Who who on at this? At the college level, that you, is a coaching issue. How do you anoint a leader on this team? You've got to that find doesn't ways happen. to push guys to be comfortable not being comfortable. That's what leadership's all about. There's but but I I think it's more of the will of this team. There's no will there. The the, the thing that there which is, is a, not which on is this team. Issue. You have, there is not an accountability factor on this team. Nobody on this team wants to look in the mirror and say to themselves, we messed up. They want to point fingers at everybody else. That starts starts with your head coach at at any level of competition, but especially in college. There's no accountability because because when your players do the, the same mistakes that you've made for 17 games... And it's it's the first and you year haven't, and you haven't under and you haven't benched guy. anybody. How many times? Who have, who are you putting in? You put who is in walk on players and send a message because at least you know that kid's going to try. I'm going to be you honest. You have a player admit I, I'm going to not try hard for 20 minutes. And and I'm going to be honest with you. If you put in a walk on player, he will quit the team and he will enter the transfer. Then portal. that's fine. I don't. You're want, not going to have a team left. I don't want that guy here. I I mean. Then you're not going to win games, and no. then that's going to put you as the head coach in a tough spot to keep your job. So in your case, it's lose lose. You you really feel, I mean, you you feel like at this point there is no win win. That there is no way that Huber Davis can win this this season is a lost season. Oh and yes, at yes. The, at this point you would put him out at Carolina, and you're going and getting your another head coach. You're not. They're not going to get rid of him after one year. But as of, nor should they. As of today, if if there are not inner thoughts in the back of Bubba Cunningham's mind that we made the wrong hire, then he's lying to himself. Well, there should have been those thoughts after the first day that you hired him, because there are other guys that are in this group that you think could could potentially get you where you want to go. But I don't. There is no just. There, there's no way to confirm that Wes Miller would be doing a better job with this with this team. I don't think that he would be doing a much better job with this team because I honestly do not think that guys on this team want to take accountability for their mistakes. They want to point fingers. They want to hang their heads. 
We've seen it in multiple games so far this year on the defensive end of the floor. And it's very obvious to many of the people that are calling the games, many of the people that are around the team. And that is an issue. There's not much you can do as the head coach if you are preaching that and guys just aren't wanting to take accountability. I I don't... You're either coaching it or you're allowing it. And there's no... Well, then here's then put the walk-ons in. Don't win a game the rest of the year. All I want is because just... that's that's what's going to happen. You either want talent and you're trying to work through it and balance it, and you're and and you're still winning some games, or you're putting out scrubs that aren't going to do anything. But hey, at least they're good dudes. That doesn't mean anything. You want to win, so you got to find a way to fight through it. You got you got to find a way to. Just, I mean, honestly, you're going to have to lose games the rest of the way this season. It's just going to happen. There's nothing that you can do about it because there's just guys on this roster that, frankly, don't care about college basketball. They don't. I hate to admit it, but there are dudes on this roster, and I'm not going to say names, but there are dudes on this roster that don't care at all about the name on the front of that jersey. They are worried about getting their career over with. I'll say the name. The name's Caleb Love. Oh, there's multiple guys, though. Um, you could go to a certain extent. I don't think Brady Manic ultimately cares because we, we we didn't get the Brady Manic that we thought we were going to get. The level of effort isn't there. The level of care isn't there. And this is where when you say things that you say in the media that North Carolina is going to show up to every event there is practice shoot around games and if you got blown out three of the five times after one of those blowouts i'm not going to play players i'm going to play the five best players that give me the best effort then the same starting five that started the game tuesday night shouldn't have started the second half of that game because they shouldn't have started the second game of the year because they didn't give you the effort in the first game of the year but you're not that that any coach would be lying when they say that. You're putting out the best five that give you a chance to win. Because here's the thing. Ultimately, what matters when it comes to being a coach? Winning. Nobody gives a damn about culture. Nobody get, nobody cares about any of that other stuff. If you don't win, you could have the greatest culture in the world. They ain't keeping you. I think- so you're putting out the guys that you think can help you win. And right now... With the way that he's played this year, Caleb Love can help you win. But yeah, are there times where you call his effort into question and why it's a big part of losses? Yes. But at at this point, you just have to wonder, is that a part of what you have to navigate as a college basketball head coach? Because it's getting to that point where because of the portal, because of the ability to leave early for the NBA... There are guys, and we, we've known it for years. Ben Simmons is the biggest defender of it. There are guys that don't care at all about the team that they play on, about anything. They don't even care about their own stats. As long as they look good enough to get drafted high in the draft, they do not care about anything that happens that year of college. They just want to get to the NBA. And now with the transfer portal, I mean, they just feel like, look, I'm going to play my game. And if it doesn't fit where I'm at, I hit the transfer portal. So it, it's it's an element of it. He's in year one. I think that you can't you can't be out on him this early. 
And if you are, then you're really pointing the finger at Roy Williams. And honestly, you're basically saying that Roy had no idea what he was talking about. Well, look, Dean, look, Dean Smith made a wrong decision. Roy Williams is very capable of making the wrong decision. But remember well. with Dean, Dean made the decision to go with Matt Doherty because he tried other options and they didn't work. Still made the wrong decision. Who was he going to get that would have been better you, you than You still him? made the wrong decision. It doesn't matter, though. You had to go down the line. This was Roy Williams' first choice, is what I'm saying. Dean Smith, that was not his first choice. His first choice was Roy Williams. I know that better than anybody else. But the the same thing I told you when he was hired has come to fruition. You're taking a guy who was a nine year assistant, nine, not even a overly tenured assistant, and you're giving him the best job in the sport. Well, you wouldn't have Dean Smith if you didn't give a first-time head coach. He was the an job assistant for Carolina. five years before that. The lead assistant. How long has Hubert Evans never his lead assistant? That was Steve Robinson. Well, you weren't going to make Steve Robinson your head coach. So, but it's like I told you, you said when that. he was hired. You're giving a guy who was unqualified to be the head coach of the best program in the sport. And I, I go as far to say this job is better than professional basketball jobs. And I was, who, who was qualified? Because it wasn't Wes Miller then. He didn't meet those standards, did he? Yes. He checked every box. How? He was an experienced coach, head coach. Coach UNC Greensboro made the tournament once. An experienced head coach at a mid-major program. That's not good enough for Carolina. It's better than hiring a second-tier assistant. Who had only who had, had been a part head, of your staff? Who you actually knew? He didn't know anything his about only West had Miller. Coaching experience was coaching the JV team. There aren't many Roy. Williams, there, there aren't many Roy Williamses that go from a JV coach and a bottom tier assistant to Kansas, and it goes smoothly. Well, that's fine, but you're saying that Roy didn't know what he was talking about. As of today, he, as of today, he was wrong. But I thought he was wrong when he made when that was the when that was the decision. I'm not going to stand walk away because of who how I feel about Roy Williams. Well, you didn't you didn't convey that on the podcast. I you you backed the decision on the podcast. Now, not even a year in, not even halfway through everybody, conference season. Everybody knew going in who I thought the head coach should be. That was never going to change until he won a national championship. Well, then Wes Miller wouldn't have been the right guy either. You would have been questioning him, right, until he won a championship. No, because I've watched Cincinnati enough to play. play. But that wouldn't that wouldn't have been something that you could have gone off of. You wouldn't have had that. If he was the head coach of Carolina, you wouldn't have had Cincinnati to go off of. So you would have, ne- coming in, in his first year, you would have said the same thing. You would have had to say the same thing you're saying about Hubert, right? Well, he's got to win a title before I actually trust that no, he's the I, right guy. Because I do think ultimately he'll be the he'll be the head coach here. I I ultimately think deep down in my heart he will be the head coach here. When I don't know because you you're not going to well, next year right you're not going to fire him after one year and you can you have to give him time to prove himself. But I told you why I told if you, you when really he was, believe that he's, I'm not a Rams club member. If you really believe that he's the wrong guy. Why would you hang on to him because, for Carolina? Because somebody else could go get Wes Miller. Because he's family, and you're not going to do that to him. Which is, I understand that. But it's like I told you when he got hired. The reputation of Bubba Cunningham as the AD at Carolina lives and dies with this hire. If this goes wrong, 
and then for whatever reason, it never corrects itself. And Carolina is where they should be, which is the premier job in college basketball. Then Bubba Cunningham's ultimate tenure as Carolina's AD will be deemed a failure. Point blank simple. That was the most important hire he was ever going to make. Even though it was not his hire to make, he'll still get the blame. Well, it shouldn't have been Roy's then, though. Apparently. So the the thing the, the problem I have is the same people that when he got hired praised the hire. Now that he's struggling, now we're back to preaching preaching patience. What's wrong with criticism? There's nothing wrong with criticism. He's 12 There's something and 5, wrong. And, and, and he deserves to be criticized. There's something wrong with saying, this is not the guy after not even a full season. He's he's not... There's no chance... At this point, you... Th- the way it sounds, you don't think there's much of a chance he can turn this around because you just don't see him as a good coach. I've watched enough basketball to understand when a coach has it and when a coach doesn't have it. Today, he doesn't have it. The staff he put together doesn't have it. Like I told you when he initially put the staff together, all the worries we had about him and the staff, they've come to fruition. And So that, you didn't think there were going to be any growing pains in the first year? I didn't see getting blown out three of the five losses. I didn't see not being competitive. That, that wasn't the question. The question was you didn't see growing pains in the yeah, first I, year. Yeah, I saw the growing so pains what were in the November. Growing, what were the growing pains? I saw growing pains in November. I didn't see losing by 28 at Miami. That's not a growing pain. That's, that's it's not great. That's but not being competitive. There's but but there would have there could have been losses like that under Wes Miller. And you would have been saying, Well, that's it. No, because I, it's, I've, it's I've not, seen him as a head coach make adjustments and his team get better throughout the year. When? No offense to him. Done a, did, did, did a really good job taking a dormant UNC Greensboro program and turning them into something. They made the tournament once. You know how hard it is to make the tournament at UNC Greensboro? In that conference? Very you, hard. You had enough talent where you should have been able to make the tournament more than one time. It's a one big league. You have to win three games in three days. Four games in four how, days. And and how and many times did other teams in that conference make it consecutively while he was there? Not many. Multiple. So, look, if I turn out to be wrong, I will gladly admit that. All I'm, I'm saying is you're. I feel like you're giving up way too way too early on 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 this. There, I don't if, think because if, if you're is, not bothered watching him not do anything while his team gets blown out, but that's just his coach. Like not he, everybody he hasn't going earned to the right. Roy. He hasn't earned the right to just sit there. That's his coaching style. No, no, that's that's the coaching style of plenty of great head coaches. They're they're not you. you not everybody the right to get there. You not, don't just start out by not making adjustments and going to the media saying, I don't know, I don't know. I think he's being truthful. I, I think that there are no answers for this no, team. No, I don't think anybody could correct what this team is you know doing what I, right now. I think he is so afraid to be critical of his team that he'd rather sit up there and lie, lie to me for 10 to 15 minutes. Than By, you, what, what's the lie? I don't know. That's a lie. He knows. No, so, he doesn't. Yes. What's wrong with this team then? And how do you how do you solve it with the snap of a finger? You don't. There's no, there's no easy fix to this team. If it was that easy, 
it would have been corrected. If it's taking one guy out of the lineup and telling him you're not playing anymore, then it would have been made. There's no easy fix because every time that you think, hey, this is the one issue, this is the, this is the problem with this team right now, there's a whole other issue that just seems to pop up. There's this. It's this simple. This team is not that good. These players are not that talented. That might that might be true. It's still your job to figure out how to get the most out of them. And he's not doing that. No, no, because of what he tells you in the media. He's not. So you think that he's honestly just sitting there and saying. Oh, we got a game on Saturday. We'll see what happens then. He's not. He has not gotten the most out of this team on a consistent basis. That is his job. That's the job of every coach. And when you've gotten blown out three times of your five losses, the proof's in the pudding. You're not getting the most out of your team. And there's no way to come back from that. This year? No. This team will... If they if they may back their way into the NCAA tournament, be one and done, and here you failed. We'll see. So Big then time. year two's got to be year two is win or finish top three in the ACC. That's the expectation every year. That that's never. Then going. he's not going to meet that. I, I'm telling you, that's just not going to happen. That, like that that expectation. If a Tar Heel fan ever lowers that expectation. Turn in your fan card. I mean, you should you, you shouldn't lower the expectation, but reality will tell you this is not going to be a team that all of a sudden by next year is going to be going thirty two and six and competing for a national championship. There's not there's not that easy fix on this roster, and the guys that are coming in in this next recruiting class are not going to automatically put you in contention for that. Not unless these dudes come out of nowhere and all of a sudden are superstars. You got one legitimate star that's coming in in this next recruiting class and he's got he's coming off a knee a knee injury. So I once came off a knee injury. At that rate, scored 35. At that rate, Hubert on the hot seat, more than likely lame duck head coach by midseason. And you're you're going to be basically behind the scenes telling Wes Miller, prepare yourself, you're taking over. I do think, and look, I don't want him to fail. That might be the impression that I'm giving. Don't want him to fail. Didn't want him to be the head coach, but I'm not rooting for the guy to fail because that means the team fails. That means the program fails. Oh, I don't give a damn about any of that. That also means that Roy Williams was 100% wrong. And and so that's not what I'm wanting. I want him to be my next head coach for 25 to 30 years. I, I actively want that to happen. Through 17 games, though, and his actions haven't proven me to believe that he's going to be capable of being my next head coach for 25 to 30 years because all of his individual shortcomings that I was worried about, they've come to light. And... Now, the same people that praise the hire, whether it's Reese Davis, Brendan Marks, whoever the guy is, well, he's a first-time head coach. You got to be patient. No, I don't, because patience is a virtue. We haven't won a national title in 
going on five years. You haven't won an ACC title in going on three years. You haven't won an ACC tournament title in going on six years. Here? At Carolina? That's a drought. So then none of the guys that were on the table made sense there. If if that was your if that's your thinking, then I'm I'm here to tell you. Every one of those candidates would have failed miserably. Your candidates were outside of the family. And you didn't want that. No, none and of you my candidates were outside of the family. But no, none of those candidates are winning like that. Wes Miller ain't winning like that. I, um, I, I, I 100% bet King, King Rice, not winning like that. Wasn't a top candidate. He was, he was a last resort. Who were the other candidates? Because Wes isn't doing that. The, He's not doing it at Cincinnati. So the, the job was Wes Miller's to have. And he's not... Look, he's good. He's promising. He's up and coming. Maybe he would have been a better head coach than Hubert Davis at this point. No, he's not winning... There's he's no not winning he, a national... He would be a better He's head not coach. winning a national title in five years here. That would not have happened right out of the gate. I beg to differ on that as he's well. He's not... He's not even... He's not getting the job done at Cincinnati so, right now. Here, you got homework. So, you have homework now. I have to tell you to go listen to another podcast, but that's okay because they're friends of the pod. You're going to have to search it because it's an episode a long time ago. Go listen to Carolina Insider's interview with Wes Miller two or three years ago. Listen to him talk ball for an hour. And your opinion will be the same of my opinion. Now, well, I'm, I'm telling you it will. Here's the thing. Because I, I was gi- sold then. I don't give a damn about what you say. Now we're up to it's 20 about laps. what you do. Because yeah, he's he's because hey, what you said, hey, Hubert Davis can talk can talk ball. Hubert Davis can tell you everything that you want to hear. You can't say Hubert Davis didn't win the press conference because he did. Wes Miller would have won the press conference, but guess what? The results would ultimately determine that. There's no way to know what Wes Miller would have ultimately done. But if you want a guy that talks the way that you want a coach to talk. I could have made you the argument that Sean May should have been your head coach. Hey. Because he made the same he sounded the exact same way talking about Roy Williams. It's not that just Roy, about Williams Roy Williams talked about Dean Smith. But it's, that's what I'm saying. He was a guy that would have said all the right things and you would believe wants to do things the right way. It's a lot harder to say, hey. We're going to come out and win a championship. Hey, we're going to continue doing what we've always done at Carolina. Then actually going out and doing it with a group of guys that, frankly, just do not they don't they don't hold Carolina to the standard that we always that that our players and us as fans hold them to. And the thing is, are there those guys coming up in recruiting classes? I don't know. I don't think that many people play for the name on the front anymore because you're told that what matters is the name on the back. Look. That's the generation. This is going to be a really hard comparison, but I think it's a a valid one. The pressure that I have to host a podcast and to communicate to the fan base. Oh, my God. And to say something and then do something is the podcast equivalent 
of Hubert Davis saying what he was going to do. You sit on your ass and talk <laughs> as, into a microphone. As as the head Sorry. coach. So I don't think it's all that hard because I show up and I say things that I'm going to do, and then I do it. So now we're at the point with Hubert Davis where maybe I have to sing. That What's, what's the song and how much you want him fired? No. Say something, I'm giving up on you. Never again. Yeah. That was worse than what we just talked about here for the last 30 minutes. That was awful. <laughs> My God. Let's get back into Wake Forest because you took us down a path that I wasn't ready to go down. And yes, that was all you. Uh, Carolina enters with a 12-5 and record, 4-2 and in the league. Four players averaging double-figure scoring, led by Armando Baycott, 17.2 points per game. Eight straight double-doubles for Armando. One in this game will tie the longest streak since Sean Henson back in 2010 and 11. But on the road is where Carolina has struggled. They're 2-2 two and two away from Chapel Hill in ACC play. Overall, they're 2-5 away from the Smith Center throughout the season. Their three-point percentage dropped 18 spots after Tuesday night. They shot 36%, or they shot 30% against Miami. They fell from 6th all the way down to 24th. And they are still sixth in the country in defensive rebounds per game, something that um, is still something that they're still doing at a really high level, a holdover from that Roy Williams era. We're going to come back. We'll play you this week's ad from DraftKings, and we're going to give you our keys to a hopeful, potential, necessary win over Wake Forest on Saturday night. We're on to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with huge odds boost for new customers. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the action of the divisional round. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN, the Basketball Podcast Network, and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Really hope you guys are taking a great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you on the Four Corners side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog side of things. The very first key to the game, I think, ultimately determines if Carolina wins or loses. There's no stopping Alondis Williams, but you got to contain him. He's going to do things on the court that you're not going to be able to stop. He leads their team in scoring, rebounding, and assisting. He's going to impact the game in a lot of different ways. You can't allow him to take the game over. 
And the problem that they're going to face is the same problem that they faced the other night, which you brought up earlier in the preview before we started arguing. It's not just him that can get the job done in that backcourt. Yep. They've got Davian Williamson. They've got other guys that can get the job done. they got four players averaging double-figure scoring. Carolina ran in that same kind of beast the other night at Miami and got ran off the court with McGusty and Wong. Wardenberg was a big man, but was shooting like a like a perimeter player. Wake Forest is going to attack Carolina differently. Williams is going to attack Carolina differently. But you cannot let him take the game over. Because if he does, and when, and when he's in that mode, you could argue he'll be the best player on the court Saturday night. He, he can at certain times be a better player than Armando Baycott, a more impactful player. He's gonna he's a legitimate ACC player of the year candidate. If you do not take him out of the game enough to where he's not dictating what's happening on both ends of the court, you you run the risk of getting blown out again. Well they did they didn't stop any who, whoever you wanted to say was the star for Miami, they didn't stop McGusty. They didn't stop Wong. Just didn't happen. No, it was like Miami Heat's big three back in the day on the court. I mean, that them and Wardenburg just killed you, and there was no resistance. And in this game, yeah, you you need somebody to step up and play well against Alondis Williams. And you may say, well, it's pretty obvious, right? You put Leaky Black on him. Okay, well that makes that that makes sense. Yeah, but Leaky didn't have the greatest performance the other night. Nope. And even if you put him on Alondis Williams, that's that's fine. Let's say he takes him away. The guy that scares me the most is Jake LaRavia because he's 6'9 and he's a guard. And this is a guy that can do it to you from beyond the arc. He can take you to the, to the hoop. If you have to have Leaky Black on Alondis Williams, which would make the most sense because that's your best defender on their best offensive player, who is matching up against LaRavia? Well, and that's and, the concern for, for me. In that situation, that's where having a big guard like Caleb Love helps because if he cares but, but you that's the thing. You need a buy you need to know that there is a buy in factor in this. This cannot be the game Ultimately, where you the best choose person not to, put to on show him, up. The best person to put on him is a smaller defender. So you go RJ Davis. Right. Well the well look, the ideal person to have most of the night would be Anthony Harris. As of right now, it looks like they won't have him for this game. And there are some rumors floating around that it could be a little bit before they get him back. Yeah. So, so that's going to hurt. But regardless, in that situation, putting a smaller defender on a bigger guard that can get up into him and affect his shooting motion and all those other little intricacies, we're not going to get too into basketball because I'll lose everybody. That's That will be the right play um, outside of playing zone. But, which they're not. That's, which, that's which been is, proven. Which is where I they're get frustrated. You can't guard the ball. So zone zone the ball Yep, and see what you can do. I agree with you I, 100%. I, I would much rather, and I'm, I'm being dead serious, as much as I hate giving up offensive rebounds, I would much rather play zone and give up offensive rebounds than watch my team try to defend in the half court 
and get blown by for 40 minutes. Well, that's it, where I'm it at. also just depends on who you're matching up against. Like the, the, now, this Wake Forest team, they're going to pose a little bit more of a threat to you on the glass. The other night, it would have made so much sense to go zone against Miami because Wardenberg's not a big a big time rebounder. He is a stretch five who, frankly, hadn't done much in his career before then. So you should have zoned them up and ran the risk. And here's the thing. That's you you can still rebound well when you play zone. You got to give effort consistently. That's the concern with that. But in this game, it's probably a little bit tougher to go zone because you've got a team that is rebounding pretty well. They're they're not great, but I mean they're middle of the conference. That's better than the group you faced the other night. So you have to worry about that, but they can still shoot it really well from the field. Now, they don't shoot it as well as Miami. And like I said, you would imagine that that should have been a wake-up call. Now, at this point, I think the thing is, is how long are these wake-up calls? Because we thought Kentucky would be a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call for like two or three games. They've had like four of them. So they wake up for a game or two, and then they go right back to sleep. <laughs> Remember, the first day of the new year, Heber Davis challenged them to play with energy, effort, and toughness for a whole month and it becomes a habit. It took them five days to revert back to their old habits. It took them two weeks after that to revert back to their old habits. It's not going to happen. Yeah, no. But this is the first game after one of those. So usually what we see is a team that comes out inspired, that wants to prove they can play with that energy, effort, and toughness. And they do that for a game. Maybe that'll carry over into the next game. And then after that, it'll all go off a cliff. Because that's just that's just how it's been working this year. So it feels like they can bring that in this game. Now, one of the things that they did against Miami that I, that I liked that they didn't do against Notre Dame. They they did not switch. They still fought through screens, but the issue was there were times where you just you doubled way too much and you just had guys scrambling. Well, the biggest problem with their double teams is they're not aggressive. It's a if you're going to double team the ball, I I would much rather you pick up a foul trying to steal the ball or trap the defender than him easily getting out of it. And that's the problem is that well it's it's, it's they not, show it's 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 a double team that's not a double team it's a hedge. there's no, there's no it's, pressure it's what we heard so much under Roy Williams it's a, it's a hedge double which is basically you're just there b- trying to block off a guy that's driving the lane they did it multiple times the other night and they block off a whole bunch of anything and here's the problem oh no they did a couple of times but then you kick to a guy that's wide open because. First of all, the double there were there were two or three times where Armando helped, didn't need to help. Nope. Guy had him. But the problem is is it's not all on Armando. There's no you can just look at the guys on the floor. They're not talking to each other. Nope. You and then need their floor to balance talk. is out of whack and then you're not rotating and it's easy bucket. And again, you've said it multiple times. Who does that start with? That starts with your point guard. Yep. You can have other guys that want to talk on the floor. If your point guard is not talking, there is not much that you can do. And constantly, the other night, who was the guy getting beat off the dribble where they ended up helping? 
that was the guy not communicating. It's Caleb Love. You you have to be better at doing that going forward. It's it's there's no other way around it. You have to communicate better and on the offensive end of the floor, move without the basketball. Quit standing there. Like, they did that way too often the other night. How did this key about Alondis Williams get into their offense? I don't know, but I'm assuming offense is somewhere on this. On, that was that was the next thing. It well, there you go. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm making a smooth transition. Yeah, See, that's, that's my I, job as the I host. I can predict what's coming up. What's written down on the, on the sheet? Because you don't have it in front of you. What do you think I have written down? Well, that's a shame that you think I don't have it in front of me, and that also tells me that you know me extremely well. Hold on to the ball. No, that's 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 number three. Oh, but it's on there. Uh, See? The other night, the, it was it was really the first time this really popped up. You got shot take, selection. You got to take better shots. There we go. And you make fun of me because I deem certain shots bad shots. That which because you're not a basketball aficionado, you don't understand that it is a bad shot. Well, the okay, night, every they, shot is a bad shot for you. But the yes, other night they on. took a handful of them. Yes, that's uh, that's undeniable. And it took them out of the game before the under sixteen timeout. And I'm not I'm not overreacting. First five shots of the game were from three, and and I told with you with the best player in and, the conference. And I told you right then and there, I told you their mindset was not where it needed to be. You give a fourteen zero run, mm-hmm. game's over. I don't mind Carolina shooting thirty threes if they're the right three pointers. I'm not going to complain. This team can shoot the ball. But they the other night they weren't the right three pointers, and that's getting back to your principles. Yes, you want to space the floor, but what are you spacing the floor for? Not to shoot threes, it's to open up driving lanes in to get to the rim, or get the ball to the rim. So that means you got to play through your big man. Armando Baycott at this point should get fifteen shots a night. Mm-hmm. That if not, they should run. I would make the team run suicides if he did not get 15 shots per game. Well, and here's the other thing. A lot of people were saying, look, Miami was doing a good job of taking him away. And they did. So move him out on the perimeter earlier because when he did it in the second half, look what happened. Debbie Antonelli, who was on with us earlier today on uh, WFNZ, said that exact thing. She was the analyst on the game. She said the first time that they did that, that was his first bucket. Before that, they never did. They left him down low and basically just had him trying to fight guys down low to try to get in position to get the ball. It's it a makes very easy no sense. game when you don't complicate it. Mm-hmm. This offense is a it's a good offense. It can be great. It's been great at times this year. What they did against Georgia Tech, what they did against Virginia, that's elite offense. That's high level. That's championship caliber offense. When you move the ball, and that means multiple passes from one side of the court to the other, get their defensive off balance. When the ball goes inside, all those little things matter because when you quit doing that, and you start playing one-on-one hero ball, we've got good shot makers. We don't have great shot makers. The other day proved it. Caleb Love and R.J. Davis can make shots on their own sometimes, but they're not to the level, and there aren't many guys in college that are at that level. There aren't 
There, there's no J.J. Reddicks and the Jimmy Fredettes to the Steph Currys of the world that exist in today's basketball at the college level. You developed that in the NBA. Well, look at the last two games that they had before then. They shot the lights out, so it was bound to eventually come back to earth. It can't for both guys. They came back to earth in the same game, and they had no response. And the solution for some reason wasn't, well, we're not shooting the ball well. Let's put the ball inside and work through there. I didn't get how there was not an adjustment from, I don't know if it was the coaching staff. Probably, I mean, they, they take some blame, but it's the players on the court. Why did Brady Manick not try to go to the block more often? That didn't make any sense. You've had success there this year. I The stat that just blew me away was the fact that Brady Manick and Dawson Garcia played I don't have the minutes in front of me, but they played extensive minutes. They shot the ball a combined 12 times. How many of those were from inside the arc? None. Zero. For big men, What? how does that make any sense? That cannot happen in this game. Future team that I coach, that happens, you're running suicides. The thing that, like, look, even with Manic, I, I, I guess I get it to a certain extent. You still... That, that should not be, that has never at any point in your career been your entire game where all you do is stand out there and shoot threes. You're a guy that has the ability to go inside, and you've done it multiple times. Do it again. But for Dawson Garcia, look, you have moments where you're open and you can knock down shots. There's a reason you're open. The strength of your game all season has been you scrapping inside to get buckets. A lot of your points have come on second chance opportunities and you stood behind the arc and shot four threes and those were your only shots of the game? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's unbelievable to me. And that's part of the shot selection that uh, it's like I said, I can't remember a game in Carolina history where the shot selection was that bad where guys just didn't realize we are completely going away from our strength and we're not going to do anything to adjust to it. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, also, it was pretty bad. Their night was turnovers. Carolina committed 14 of them. Miami got 30 points off of them. Pretty easy to see why Carolina got blown out. Wake Forest forces 13 turnovers a game. Carolina's averaging right about 13 a game. You kind of feel like in this game, on the road, given your defensive woes on the road, your max is 10. At, at, at home, it's 12. Yeah. On the road, it's 10. And the problem the other night wasn't the amount of turnovers. It was the types of turnovers that literally, when you turned it over, you were gifting them a bucket. I mean, you gave up more than two points a a, a possession off turnovers. So this, this game has to get back to being smart with the ball, being strong with the ball, and making the right decisions. Well, you brought up a great point about this team earlier. I brought up a lot of great points. They don't create turnovers. No. So they're not, they're not going to. If you're not going to create turnovers, that's fine. You're you're not a team. No offense. You're not a team that can take risks being aggressive because you're you're not good enough defensively to cover your behind. If you do end up trying to be aggressive and it doesn't work out, but what does that mean? You better take care of the basketball. Yep. 
and don't say, well, you know, we're just a young team. We've had these problems before. Well, you did again. You did it against Virginia, mm-hmm. who's one of the best teams at creating turnovers. Now, Miami was even better than them, and you completely folded. This team is not that good at fo- not as good as Miami at forcing turnovers. So you you have to be able to take care of the basketball, and the the thing that when I watch this team that just drives me nuts with the turnovers is there are times where guys get into bad situations and everybody just stands around go to the ball go get the ball your guys picked up his dribble and he's trapped go get the basketball yep don't just stand there and then force him to try to throw up some crazy pass or whatever look the ones the other night that looked a lot like the last two years where you were just forcing passes that had no business being forced. You were trying to find lanes that weren't there. But there are other times where what I just said happens, and it happens multiple times a game. You need to prevent those types of turnovers. There are going to be those those occasional turnovers, but once again, with a team that's as guard-heavy as this team is, you can't have those live ball turnovers in this game or you're going to be in trouble. It's gonna be it's gonna be a great crowd Saturday night at the Lawrence Joel Coliseum. This will probably be the best crowd for a Carolina Wake game since two thousand nine when Carolina got beat at Wake Forest in a battle of top five matchups. Wake Forest, according to ESPN's basketball power index, a fifty six point three percent chance to win the game. Both teams enter averaging roughly right at seventy eight points per game. Carolina's actually even at seventy eight. Wake is at seventy eight point three. Carolina gives up seventy one per game. Wake is down at sixty eight. This game has offensive shootout written all over it. I think if Carolina wants to win, I think they've got to get to eighty five maybe 90 for the first time all year long I have to pick against them I don't have confidence that this team can go on the road whether it's in a hostile environment like Saturday night will be or a mediocre environment like Tuesday night was and win your two road wins are at the College of Charleston or your your, your road wins are at the College of Charleston at Boston College and at Georgia Tech. And you can make the argument the win at the College of Charleston is the most impressive. That's not saying a whole lot. For Wake Forest, as good as their record is, they're in the same boat Carolina is is in. They've got to start putting together an NCAA tournament resume. Mm-hmm. They've got to get wins on their home court when they can get them. They had a chance against Duke. They didn't get the job done. A win against Carolina goes a long way. Steve Forbes is doing the best. He's going to be the ACC Coach of the Year if they keep this up. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to be a fun game. For, For ACC homers like myself that love this conference, the history and tradition of this conference, this will feel like the good old days when it was the Big Four. Not just the triangle schools, but Wake Forest was a national player again. They're not back to that level yet, but this year they they're an they're AC- closer than NC State. This year they're an ACC player. I think I think I think Carolina competes a lot better than the other night. I do think Wake Forest wins. I mean, it's a tough game. Like I, you know, I talked about it. the the guards The guard matchup really scares me here. 
And, yeah, I mean, Wake Forest is in a similar boat. Wake Forest has a better win than you do. They beat Florida State. Now, granted, that wasn't the same Florida State team, but that Florida State team starting to get it together. You need to come in with a sense of desperation to this game. Knowing that, hey, we got to get a big win here. Because, I mean, look, could you could you beat Duke at home? Yeah, you definitely could because you play you you play about as well as anybody they in the country. The Orla- at home. They could beat the Orlando Magic at home, the way they play. <laughs> the Orlando Magic aren't great. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the thing that you don't want to have to rely on that game being basically your chance to get into the tournament. Because that that game comes with enough pressure as it is. Basically then going in and saying to yourself, well, we don't win this game, then we're probably not going dancing. Or we have to go to Durham and win at the end of the season in what is a road game, what will be Coach K's final regular season game against an extremely talented Duke team. Yeah, that's not a recipe that you want. So they need to know how important this game is. I said earlier, this is a team that's bounced back very well from losses. I think they'll they'll know the importance of this game. They have to. There's there's no way around it. I think it's another game where it might be a little ugly at times. It, you know, especially defensively, but I think Carolina comes out on top. They need it. I think Wake Forest is good, but I still think Wake Forest is one of those teams that is a year away. There are still some growing pains that they're going to go through. I like Carolina, but it's 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 going to be an absolute nail-biter in this game. The irony of all of this is that if Carolina wins, we have Hubert Davis's first signature win. The podcast after arguing about Hubert, Hubert Davis. So, hey, that's you that's got to come on here and intro that podcast. That's all I'm saying. Um, we'll find out Saturday night, 8 p.m. on the ACC Network. So you get a great ACC game and great infomercials as well over there on ACC Network. Tack Vision Tom, baby. Um, we'll be getting ready on the website, HeelToughBlog.com, with a preview article. There'll be a recap post of the night of the game as well. You can go back check out all the stuff from Miami if you want to. If not, I do not blame you. Football side of things, we're keeping you up to date. Weekly storylines as we're on the offseason mode. We're getting ready for the NFL draft up, upcoming very soon. So we're, we're, we're keeping you up to speed on the HeelToughBlog.com with football and basketball coverage. As for the, ba- uh, as for the podcast... You know where to find us. We're on the Basketball Podcasting Network. We host through Megaphone. You can find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. You name it, the Four Corners Podcast is there. Give it a like. Give it a review. But most importantly, do hit that subscribe button. That way you get every great podcast in your podcast library. Well, that is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I do want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.
The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.